As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Hello and welcome back to the Last Jedi on the Left podcast. I'm your host Aaron and my guest this episode is Michael. Hello everybody, I'm happy to be here. Um, oh, thanks, for, thanks for coming on. Pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're very polite. <laughs> um, so this, uh, this episode was a... So I'll, I'll be honest, uh, for the first... First one for me, anyway, is that we're covering a film on this episode that prior to you mentioning that you said you wanted to do it, I'd not seen. Ah, good, good. So, uh, yeah, it was a new one to me. Um, I guess everyone will know by the name of the episode that it's Joe versus the volcano. Um, what what made you uh, what made you want to pick this one? I think kind of precisely because uh, not a lot of people have seen this movie or really talk about this movie a little bit of a, a little deal was made of it on its 30th anniversary this year or not, not this year um, back. Cause it came out in 1990. So yeah. Yeah. 2010. So our 2020, um, but there's a lot of other stuff going on that year. So. Yeah. Slightly <laughs> got overshadowed. Yeah. So, you know, so it's, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I saw it. Uh, actually, I did. I know I did not see it in the theater. I know I saw it um, as a kid on uh, TV, which I can tell that story at some point. Um, but it's a movie that really, like, I gravitate towards, and it, I really, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, very good. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess we could set the stage. So, it was um, the 9th of March, nineteen ninety, I believe it came out. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Six months before I was born, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very old. <laughs> but uh, number one in the uh, number one single in the US uh, when it came out was Escapade by Janet Jackson. It's a good not, song. Not one I'm familiar with, to be fair, that one. But uh, the number one in the UK was Dub Be Good to Me by Beats International. No, I've, I've, I've no response to that. Yeah. <laughs> very well. Well played. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the uh, the, the Atlantic divide there because you knew the US one and I knew the UK one, so we got there mm-hmm. between us. Uh, number one at the US box office as well uh, that week was the Hunt for Red October. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that Which, really uh, sets the scene for yeah, the movie. You know where you're at with that at one. the time, yeah. But um, as someone once told me that they don't think there are any bad submarine films. Wow! Yeah, I would. Um... Yeah, I can't. It's a tough one. one. You can never prove him wrong on the spot, I guess, with that one. Yeah. But yeah, there like, we go. I'm sure Roger Corman made a cheap submarine movie in like the 60s that probably is terrible. But, you know, it's long forgotten. We only remember the good ones. Yeah, wherever that, or there has to have been like an Asylum one that came out, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure those guys did, did something like that. But yeah. So, um, so yeah, like I say, it was um, a first time viewing for me. Um, I got a quote from, uh, from the legendary Roger Ebert, and he said that it was new, fresh, and not shy of taking chances, which I think is a brilliant way to sum up this film, because it's kind of unlike almost anything else, I think. Yeah, I and oddly, although this can kind of um, give people the wrong expectation, but I think the closest thing is kind of that Tim Burton magical realism. Um, 
because the the director and writer comes from a theater background so it definitely has that sort of like like it it starts out literally with like once upon a time it's a modern fairy tale uh but closest to kind of sensibility is like a tim burton like a like big fish tim burton not like beetlejuice tim burton like that kind of idea yeah i can see that i think the one that kind of I guess it's all about frame of references, really. But the one that kind of uh, threw up for me was it was like a lot like more like a uh, like a friendlier t- Terry Gilliam film, if you will. Oh, sure, yeah. It's yeah. not kind of got the harshness of a lot of his, but it's got that kind of yes. odd sensibility. Where, where Gilliam is cynical, like he yes. comes from a cynical place. This is kind of the opposite of that. So, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, um, and like you said, we've, we kind of come about it as well. So. The only thing I really knew as well going into it is, okay, this is the first of the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan films. Mm-hmm. So um, my wife, we, we watched it with uh, last night, actually. Uh, we both sat down and she's a big fan of uh, You've Got Mail. So I was like, okay, I know where I'm at with that. It, it kind of had set my expectations based upon that. And it's um, it's, it's nothing like You've Got Mail, really. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's interesting because we talk about like Meg Ryan plays three very distinct roles in this. Yeah. And part of that kind of magical realism is her first two characters are very much like characters. Like they are, she is acting, she's acting in those roles where like the third character, Patricia um, is very closer to romantic comedy, Meg Ryan. Um, but you, but you have to like see her like play like, weird mousy new yorker secretary and then like kind of like weird la artist uh and then you get like oh this is the meg ryan i'm familiar with so it's very it's very interesting in that regard yeah definitely uh 100 agree with that like you say that the i guess it kind of plays into like you say that that sensibility that has especially early on when you've got uh dd i believe the, mm-hmm. the first one like i say this sort of odd very sort of I mean, I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to say a Brooklyn accent type thing that she's doing in it. It is, it is some kind of accent. Yeah. Um, I would, I would, uh, yeah, like it's, it's <laughs> I'm sure the good people it's wrong, but also I don't know if it's, yeah, I'm sure yeah. Brooklynites are like, no, that, that ain't a Brooklyn accent. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely her doing a kind of, uh working class New York accent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I guess we, we can, we can move on as well. We'll, you kind of touched on it before about like sort of memories from early watching it or anything like that. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the story of how, how I saw it so many times as a kid is uh, I had a very, uh, I described him as a gadgety uncle. He was that uncle who is always like into cutting edge, cutting edge technology and um, always knows a guy. Um, so we got a satellite dish, like, like, 88 89 um and also got like the black box that just allowed us to see all the channels um including pay-per-view channels so if it was a movie that came out in that time period from like 88 through like 91 um i saw it a lot because i could just turn like it was it was um satellite dishes used to work in a way that you literally had to point your satellite dish at the satellite so you had to like know the programmed path yeah. Um, to lock on to the, the signal. But um, so like pay-per-view channels just like ran movies on a loop. Um, so there was one channel that was showing Joe versus the volcano 24 seven for like two or three weeks. Cause right, it was on okay. pay-per-view. So literally like if I wanted to watch Joe versus the volcano, I would just 
put it on. Um, so there's a, a lot of movies like from that from that time where like for some reason like Nightmare on Elm Street Five, The Dream Child, is the one I've seen the most because it was like on pay per view during that time period. So I I saw it all the time. And I loved it. I don't really understand what eleven year old me got out of this um, beautiful modern fantasy uh, about life um, but some reason it really resonated with me and so that's like like so many bits of that movie stuck with me and we'll, we can talk more about it like in quotes and different scenes um so yeah so i watched this movie so much during that time that's um i think that's actually quite uh, like really interesting in a way to, to look at it it's like you say you've um you say a 11 year old do you say yeah. yeah. So you're an 11 year old, and like you say, you, there's, there's kind of a lot of deeper meaning to this that almost certainly would, would have been going over your head, I imagine, at the time. But yet, there's still enough Tim Burton esque elements, I guess, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way of saying it, that sort of colorful characters and and you know really zany sort of. Yeah, it's, going it's on. like characters, and there's a lot of like broad humor parts yeah. in it, like Tom Hanks. This is like what I consider the last funny Tom Hanks movie, like where it's Tom Hanks as a more comedic role. Yeah. It's kind of like not too long after this was like Philadelphia and then like serious actor Tom Hanks. I I don't know if this is correct, but I always see this as like the last goofy Tom Hanks movie. Um, it's, it's much more in that sort of splash big vein than it is. Yes, the, uh, yeah. It's anything. Yeah. Else. It's yeah. Splash big bachelor party. Um, even the burbs burbs mm. is burbs slightly after this or slightly before burbs is another one that I watched continuously. Burbs is um, another one that kind of uh, front and center of my mind when I was watching this as well last night. Cause it's got, again, it's got yeah. very, you know, um, that's, uh, it's a weird kind of heightened reality to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm completely drawing a blank on the guy's name who did the howling as well, didn't he? Oh, Joe Dante. Yeah, Joe it's Dante, definitely yeah. like sorry, yeah, fun Joe Dante comedy uh, where he just loved playing with the tropes of the genres. Yeah, exactly. And and I say this one's uh, I think very similar in a way. Yeah. So um, yeah, like I say. So I mean, my first viewing was just just over 24 hours ago now so um yeah it was it was interesting one for me i think it's also really interesting some of the i mean some of them were slightly longer than cameos but some of them were basically just like one 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 off cameos in there yeah for like so many sort of great actors and stuff that Nathan Lane popping up, but you wouldn't yep. really recognize him if because he's got that much makeup on. It was only the fact yeah, I went, it was years later before I found out that was Nathan Lane. Yeah, um, he was only sitting there going, "I know that voice. Where yep. do I know that and voice it, from." If, once you know, like, yeah. like oh yeah, um, yeah, like it's. I, I imagine it because uh, John Patrick Shanley, the writer director, was from the New York theater scene. That a lot of those actors are New York theater actors, so he he cast his friends. That would um, make sense. Yeah. Like, I, th- I think that's why Ossie Davis is in this. I think that's why uh, um, Carol Kane is in it for literally one, like she's in for 30 seconds as the hairdresser. And yeah. She has like yeah. two lines. Uh, Amanda Plummer, who like has, I think, he, I think at that point she wasn't really even a like indie darling actress, but it's still weird that she is this very tiny role, which I have to assume that there were a lot of scene, more scenes on the boat with the crew that got cut. Um, Cause it's like weird for her to like, to be this, uh, to play the ship's engineer. Like, op- like I guess accent yeah, like, as well that she's doing as well. Yes. 
yeah. Dagmar. I, I assume she's supposed to be Norwegian. <laughs> Something um, like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of like, oh yeah. And I just I just have to assume it was like he called his friends. Yeah. It's like, hey, I do you want to, so, yeah. you know, wanna re up um, your SAG uh <laughs> healthcare? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could well be. I mean, I was I'm coming from like uh, the background as well of like some of the films I've watched the most would be like the Godfather films, for example. Mm-hmm. And you've got then you've got Abe Vigoda as oh, Abe Vigoda as the chief. As the oh, chief, God. yeah. With like orange soda cans taped to him yeah. or whatever. And yeah, that, it, so it that's just, a... just insane kind of, but like really fun as well. Like obviously these people don't mind doing these kind of wacky roles. It's, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think uh, if you're happy to, we can move on to our favorite quotes from the film. Oh yeah. Um, I've got a few. I'm anticipating you'll have a lot more. Judging by your number of viewings. My, my love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the first one I had, and it's one that you've kind of, uh, alluded to already is, uh, is the Angelica says to him, to Joe, uh, what did you do before you signed with daddy? He said, I'm an advertising librarian for a medical supply company. And, oh, I have no response to that. I, that's so that that's one of those lines where I would say that and it still like pops into my head as it's it is a perfectly valid response to someone. <laughs> um and it and it comes off as rude, but it's so honest. Yeah. So I've like you gave me this I have no response to that. And it's it's, um, it's all in the line delivery as well. Like like Hanks kind of rushes through this like quite a long job title mm-hmm. and, and Ryan just sits there and goes, Well, nothing no response to that it's just because why would you like it's such a weird thing yeah Yeah. and and it's definitely another one that i think you with like other fans of the film you could just throw that into conversation easily um the only other one i had uh i had down uh kind of comes from towards the end of the film and it's patricia saying uh you're afraid of commitment you have to love and honor me for about 30 seconds This is really like where I, I firmly believe that they, they have great chemistry in the whole movie, but it's that bit um, where I guess we really are assuming that everyone knows the plot of the movie, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they haven't really yeah. So, they, uh, so they're at the, the mouth of the volcano. Joe's got to jump in. And I, I really think it's that bit, their interaction at the mouth of the volcano, I think is why we got a couple more Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks movies. I think probably that was what a studio who maybe wrote off the movie because um, it was it wasn't a hit wasn't all that all that successful but saw like these two need to be in more movies together let's cast them in movies because the, yeah th- those bits between them at the end um, where he's like I love you I'm glad your timing stinks he's <laughs> <laughs> like I gotta go I gotta go jump in a volcano yeah so have you, have you, what what quotes have you got. I, um, so when I'm like, uh, the, the big one for me is, um, is the, after the, the, the boat they're on has, has sank, uh, his, his luggage has saved them and Patricia's still unconscious. Uh, and he's giving her all the water that he has from his little, little mini bar from his luggage. Uh, at this point he is so dehydrated and so tired. He is hallucinating. Um, and he sees this gigantic moonrise, um, and he like stares up at the moon. He says, "God, whose name I do not know, thank you for my life. I forgot how big. Thank you 
thank you for my life. I love that moment. It is such a beautiful moment in the movie and it's a wonderful quote um, that I think is very powerful in a, in a way that I think anyone going through any kind of distress and um, like might not be in a place where they can find anything beneficial in their life or anything worth living for. Like that quote, I think really just, even if you're not a religious person, just the concept of like, thank you for my life, for just being alive, being able to experience this world. And it, I think it plays into an earlier quote by Patricia uh, where she's quoting her dad played by the wonderful Lloyd Bridges, um, which although this quote does seem out of character for, for that character, or he, he's like, my dad always said that most people you see are just um, asleep. Yeah. Uh, they just go through their lives asleep. And the few people that are awake are just in a, um, was it in a constant state of amazement. And I think that, and, and I did not really make that connection until I just watched it this last time. Um, that moment where like Hanks is actually probably asleep. And this is one of the weird dreams that they talk about. You know, oh, if you ever slept on the ocean, like it gives you weird dreams. I think it plays into that. And I did not connect those two things where Tom Hanks is now actually fully awake and he's in total amazement of life. Um, so that's like, <laughs> I love this movie. Like literally been watching this movie for 30 years. And I, and I just made a connection, at least for myself, of those two lines. Um, now after, you know, watching it, again, I watched it Friday night. Um, so yeah, like I love that quote. And so going back to Patricia's quote, uh, about like people being awake and those awake, those who are, those pe- people being asleep and most, uh, and people who are awake, total amazement. Um, I also love the scene in the quote with Ossie Davis, where, uh, Tom Hanks hires Ossie Davis as a limo driver. Um, and then was like, Oh, where would like, he, I need clothes. Can you tell me where to get clothes? And Ossie Davis like pulls the car over. He's like, I can't tell you who you are and clothes tell you who you are. And like Ossie Davis has this great line about how important clothes are to him. Um, that's another great line and leads into one of my favorite movie tropes is a shopping montage <laughs> yeah. uh, where that's where you get a little bit of like goofy. I forget which like 50s song plays o- over it, but there's a lot of like 50s music used, yeah. And that was definitely like eighties and early nineties comedies, like set a tone of like, this is fun by playing like a fifties or sixties classic rock tune. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. So those, those are, those are moments and quotes that really stick out to me. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's quite interesting. Like I said, on the, on the, you've kind of put it together a little, I put it, I mean, I suppose I'll be let off for saying this because it's, it's taken you 30 years to put it together, but I hadn't put that together last night. What you mentioned on the moon scene, I, I almost kind of, thought that it it was like a callback to that oh you know you have weird dreams when you're on the mm-hmm. on the boats and everything because of the motion and, and and kind of just because it's it's just this absolutely huge moon that's rising and it's doing it yeah. so slowly as well and you think well this I mean, it can't be real but then you given everything else that's just happened in the film well maybe it yeah it's 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 also <clears throat> interesting is that scene um there's an earlier scene with um Meg Ryan's middle character 
whose name escapes me now. It's Dee Dee is the first character and Patricia is the last character. It's Angelica. Angelica. Where Angelica, like the morning after Joe doesn't sleep with her, um, she shows him some of her art. And it is, um, it's a drawing where you see Tom Hanks's face reflected in the moon. Yeah. Uh, or like Tom, Tom's face is in the moon. Um, which like, I think all, and it's a giant moon. So I feel like that's also kind of like foreshadowing. Um, I think there's quite a bit of that as well with like the, the lamp that he has in the office early on has got yes. like the volcano and everything else on it as well. Yeah. The it's crooked kind of just... path. Like you see that motif through like so much of the movie. Yeah, like you said, between... I really want that lamp. Like, <laughs> honestly, I have uh, I have tried to find replicas of that lamp, uh, and I think honestly, I'm going to have to make my own. Because um, be uh, fun side project for you. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if the film is going to be just ever so slightly too niche at this point. Yeah, I, it's it's funny. This morning, I was like, I'm going to look up like some Etsy art. And see see what I can find for you. There are a few pieces. Um, honestly, what I was looking for is I have this memory of uh, I have the DVD. I have the movie on DVD, and it has a terrible cover. Um, it's one of those like cheap DVDs where it's just like they took two stock photos of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, and, like slapped them on there, and then slapped the movie title. Yep. It's, it's not even like the movie poster of like him in the tux and her her dress with the moon behind him. Uh, it's it's not even that. It's a terrible, terrible cover. But I had this memory that I also saw a DVD cover that had Tom Hanks's face, like uh, the same terrible stock photo, but also with the moon superimposed behind it. And I was like, wait, is that like the drawing that Angelica has in the movie? And all that I never really noticed before. And was that terrible DVD cover actually a really good DVD cover? Cause it like homage something actually in the movie, but in a cheap way. Cause it's like a cheap knockoff. DVD. So yeah. So that led me down a rabbit hole of like looking up like fan art and like uh, custom uh, DVD slip covers that people have made. Um, and it's out there. There's not a lot, but it's out there. Sounds like a, uh, very interesting sort of I've, I've gotten into uh like back into collecting blu-rays quite a lot recently and a lot of the more boutique, boutique labels and stuff will have like reversible sleeves on there with like new yeah. art and original art and stuff like that so i could see that you know that 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 world of like all different dvd art and stuff like that would be would be quite interesting i think for yeah yeah so if i if yeah. i if i displayed my dvds i would i would maybe look more into that but alas they are in a box somewhere yeah that's i'm not, not, that's not a road i'm going down <laughs> yeah because you never know like everyone thought you know streaming and digital was the way to go but stuff disappears all the time this is what i've been saying for to justify yep. it to my wife mostly but there you go even because <laughs> even if you buy the digital copy you actually don't own it it can go away at any point so you just maybe wasted your money um yeah so i'm still a big fan of uh Physical media. I still keep my VHS player in working order. That's some stuff like that's good I just going. want to watch it on VHS. Yeah, I'm impressed. Um, so yeah, I um, I suppose the only other uh, sort of moment I'm trying to think of uh, is just go on. I feel like I was going to say, oh, I totally forgot Dan Hedaya as his boss. Yes, um, like with the 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 the. the I know you can get the job, but or I know you can get the job, but can he do the job? Can he get the? Can he do the job? 
just just yeah if i said that i'd be wrong (laughs) yeah and it's the same phone conversation like at every scene yeah Uh. (laughs) just it's like i obviously like a incredibly heightened way and i love the the way it's shot as well in that moment because like everything does look gray and washed out and then like yeah when joe comes to to quit in he brings it up as well like everybody looks like crap in here. Like, you know, yeah. it's awful. And, and you go, oh yeah, it does look, yeah, that doesn't make sense actually. Um, so really like, a, it's almost fourth wall breaking in a lot of ways. I think a lot of that stuff like that, I, I quite enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, you, you get the sense that, um, like, what, what am I trying to say? Is th- that it's so um, purposely done that it like, it's it's kind of it's pushing it in your face so much um, that you don't know if it's going to be called out or if that's just the style. Uh, and then it's it's like and it looks like so it looks unlike the rest of the movie. Um, it's so like stylized, like everyone like getting out of their cars. It's all like seventies cars, um, industrial like factory like it was a, it's the home of the anal probe uh, <laughs> yeah. all the like, little signs that he walks past yeah all the signs in. like and it has like the like customer served thing like it's so heightened reality in that opening everyone's in the gray suits and they're stomping through and there's like the, you know the one lone flower growing out of the sidewalk and it gets crushed and it's so like that is very much like yeah that's very t- terry gilliam like looking it's everything's gray and dirty um and like the office, the bad lighting, the fluorescent lighting. And then as soon as he like quits and gets out of there, it's the real world. Like when he's the shopping montage just looks like a regular New York city and not like stylized and weird and depressing. I think that the very last sort of moment of that for me was when he gets out of the doctor's office and it's just constantly zooming out into this massive red brick wall. Yeah. And he has this, dog that's absolutely huge and this woman who's not very huge basically mm-hmm. and he kind of hugs the dog and hugs it and just that whole moment was kind of the last of the really yeah. sort of odd sort of Tim Burton-esque moments I guess. And and not to get too like the symbolism movies but okay uh, that is him embracing humanity Yeah, like he starts by like, like slowly approaching the dog like with his hand out so the dog can sniff it and then, like, the dog lets him get close and he hugs the dog because uh, he's just found out that he's going to die in six months. And then he hugs the woman who is, like, freaked out. But it's him, like, like striving for human connection in this world. And, yeah, in that moment, that's where, like, that's where things start to turn. I mean, it, I, don't, I don't think the film ever goes as far as saying it, but it, it's basically of, like, that's his moment where you've got six months until you're dead. So now he's going to start living. Like now he's going to try and take every moment and and that's where he starts. I thought that was kind of quite cool. Yeah. Um, So the only, um, the only last bit I've got now was, um, and I, I, it's kind of, I guess spoilers, but for everybody's listened this far, they they must've seen the film, I'm sure. Um, So we've got uh, Robert Stack is someone who I didn't, didn't call out before he plays the, the doctor. And we find out that the doctor is in league with the the father, who's like Lloyd mm-hmm. Bridges. Now, Lloyd Bridges and Robert Stack, uh, 
being in league with each other. Is, is, am I reading too much into one of my favourite films, or is that a callback to Airplane? Oh. You know, that's interesting. I did not make that connection. Huh. I Because, like, Robert Sack <laughs> is so, like, such an out of... Like, Robert, he had been doing Unsolved Mysteries for years that at that point. I don't think he even acted anymore. Like, did regular acting. So I wonder if it was, like... Um. Yeah, I, I had not made that connection. It it might be, could be. I don't know. Or like Lloyd Bridges was like, you know who you should get for the doctor? Get my friend Robert Stack. Yeah, like, it could could well be. Yeah, that, that might have been it as well. So, uh, but yeah, that was just one of those sort of cool moments. I was like, oh, yeah, these two yeah, my, kind of associate with that one film together. That is, yeah, I did not connect that. Um, yeah, Robert Stack, that voice, that's insane. <laughs> Um, a brain not, clock. <laughs> I've not got much else to to cover off. I don't know if there's anything else you want to bring up. Um, see, yeah. I, oh, something I did not know until literally today when I went to the IMD, IMDb page is that there was an alternate ending. Um, oh, okay. That uh, so at the end of the movie, they're they're blown out of the volcano uh, and they land in the water. The original ending had the father show up in the other yacht. Because uh, I think the one that sinks is the Tweedledee. Yes, I think so, yeah. Um, and so the Tweedledum shows up with with Lloyd Bridgers and Robert Stack, where it comes clean that Robert Stack is actually just like his like tax man, hatchet man guy, um, who like Lloyd Bridges actually like does kind of apologize for putting Joe through this, but also uh, is, kind of threatens him. And Robert Stack like pulls a gun on him, but Joe is now like, has no fear so he just like bats the gun away and they they put um oh and also the the crew of the other ship so dagmar and the other other people were were rescued by the dad in robert stack in that boat so they're not dead so they actually survived um but they put the dad and robert stack on a dinghy and like set them out into the ocean and they're gonna sail away um and the dad is like yeah i guess this is what i deserve for being greedy um and and that's like, that's the happy ending. But I guess it tested horribly with audiences. Because I think it was, I assume it was seen as like too cruel to the yeah. dad. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I, I, it would have been nice to get some, I guess, closure on on the other crew members and stuff. But I feel like I'm happy with that. I didn't need the pulling of the gun and everything else like that by that point yeah. in the film. I'm it also could have been cut because it was like maybe too long. Like at that point, could have been, movies, yeah the movie needs to be wrapping up and then doing like a whole nother big scene. Um, yeah. So yeah, like it was like that. I had no idea that that ending had existed. Um, but yeah, so like that, that was interesting. And then it made me reflect more on the, the end scene, which is again, more Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, like chemistry out the wazoo. Yeah. Um, and the joke of like, well, you know, I'm going to still going to die in six months. That's uh, Dr. Ellison said, it's like, that's, Dr. Ellison, that's my dad's doctor. He doesn't have any other. He's like, oh, maybe I should have got a second opinion. She's like, he didn't get a second opinion? <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's like, great moment, like say, between the, the two of them at the end there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that covers off the film. So our connection for a, uh, a top five, you, you suggested top five uh, acting duos, I guess it is. Yeah. So I thought this was quite an interesting one because you often think about like, you know, people who, who 
backed opposite each other frequently, but kind of I, I couldn't really. There was obviously certain ones that came up straight away, and the other ones I was a bit more like, oh yeah, yeah, you do, you do actually see those together. Not not many of them were as iconic as these two, I don't think. Right? Yeah, I think this is the gold for at least the modern era. This is the gold standard for like romantic pairings. Yeah, I really struggled to like think of more um, that didn't fall into like I wanted to stay away from like comedy teams. Yeah. Uh, I, They're like, uh, oh, they all. Yeah, that's, I ended the up, thing is they work together. I ended up with quite a few comedy teams in mind, but uh, um, that's fine. Like, because I literally, I don't think I even have five on my list. So oh, well, we might have done well in there together. All right, good. Um, so the first one I had, um, I, I guess, because normally I'll do it in a top five. This is way more. Just these are five, I, th- I think, for me. But the first one I had was uh, Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, that's a good one. Um, kind of famously, obviously, they've got Titanic, but then there was also mm-hmm. Revolutionary Road, their comeback together film. Um, two very different films, I think, in a way, yes. but they're both, you know, romantic leads, I guess, together. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the first one I had for it. What was your... So I was going to go classic old old Hollywood with like the iconic movie pair, which was uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Okay, yeah. Um, so that's like they did. Was it five? Like like six? They did a bunch of movies together. Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to say I couldn't. Don't don't put me on the spot and ask me to list them. That's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it was like uh, I have to look at the list and be like the ones I've actually seen. Okay, guess who coming? Who's coming to dinner? Uh, Adam's Rib, Desk Set, uh, The Sea of Grass, which is one I'd never heard of, um, Keep, um, State of the Union? Is that one of the? Yeah. So, yeah, they did a ton of movies together uh, while having an on and off actual real life affair. Um, but, like, that, that I went the classic one. I was like, okay, that, that's who I think kind of the, the prototype romantic comedy duo was. Set the bar. Set the bar high, you know, for that one. Um, So the next one I had was um, Amy Adams and Christian Bale, which was one of those that you kind of go, okay, that's not a sort of one you'd you'd think of necessarily. But then they did um, The Fighter, American Hustle, and Vice all together. Um, Obviously two of those, the, the, um, uh, the David O. Russell films. And mm-hmm. then, and like I say, the vice was uh, where the where he plays um, Dick Cheney, Dick wasn't Cheney. it? Yeah, sorry, I'm blanking on people's names right now, but yeah, it's it's, it's good to blank him out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we try anyway. <laughs> it's an interesting film that that last one because whilst I actually enjoyed it as a film, I just ended up leaving it quite angry. Yeah, but there you go. Um, so yeah, they were one that was kind of a little bit of the like I say, not not necessarily. You don't always picture them together like you, you would do if it was a say it was a romantic comedy with Tom Hanks. You'd think, well, presumably Meg Ryan will be in there, but um, yeah. But um, oh, where's the what's the one? Um, oh, it's it, or kind of vice versa because like when Harry Met Sally is Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. Yes, but, true. Like and Billy Crystal is great, but like what if it was Tom Hanks? Then like it just makes it a little bit more like oh, another one together. Yeah, that's true. Although. Uh, I guess if we're on that vein, I can't necessarily imagine Tom Hanks as Goose in Top Gun. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Although at that period, 
Like that was still goofy Tom Hanks. That yeah, might, maybe uh, that might have worked. He could rattle out great balls of fire on the piano. I'm sure. Yeah, especially if he was playing with his feet. <laughs> um, so what was the uh, what was the next one you had? All right, I have uh, I have uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Okay, I also had that one down. Nice. Um, yeah, basically, I'm uh, so I'm a, a big Kevin Smith fan. So I always go back to you know they're in Dogma together, the, yep. that kind of thing, uh, and obviously Goodwill Hunting is the the one that won them the Oscar before that. Um, yeah. Did you see the Last Duel? I did not see the Last Duel, but I watched a lot of video essays about it. Well, I really liked it. Nobody else seemed to have watched it, but I really liked it. Um, and then there was obviously Air that came out fairly recently mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So that's a, that's a fun one because I think like they they came up at the same time, did stuff together, and it really like beca- became like a joke about them being in stuff together. But both have forged their own kind of very strong careers. Uh, and and it's not weird for them to go back and be in stuff together. Um, where I think enough time has passed where I don't think, like, like I never heard anyone talk about The Last Duel as being like, oh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are in another movie together. Like, haha. It's It was just... They're, they're actors who like yeah, are in yeah. a movie together. They will cross um, each other's past eventually. Yes, yeah, and they like they're friends. They like working together. Um, so yeah, so that that was my my next one. Yeah, I think that's a big thing for that one as well. Is that they are genuinely like good friends with each other. I guess they yeah. must have grown up. I think they they both grew up in like Boston area, didn't they? So yeah, I have to assume so because I know and, then, Af- and like both first... of their first movie was. Um, uh, school ties, right? Yeah, they both. I think Matt Damon's role is bigger than Ben Affleck's in that one, if memory serves. There is like, a lot of that with them as well. Like yeah. one usually tends to have a bigger role than the other, and the other one will, will pop in kind of for, for a large parts of it. I mean, even even Goodwill Hunting, I guess you know, Damon is front and center, and, and Affleck's that's true, a little bit more in the background. But um, but yeah, I, I had that one as well because I'm also like I say a massive fan of them. So that was uh, that was another one I'd got down. Um, one I'd got was um, Seth Rogen and James Franco. So, oh yeah, sort of comedy pairing, but kind of. I guess there's like quite it, a lot of those people from that group. Yeah, I think that's another like they're friends, they know each other, so they do movies together. Yeah, I was thinking more like Laurel and Hardy. Like, don't want to count them. Oh, okay, a package deal. I'm with you. Um, but yeah, like Seth Rogen and James Franco, that's a great one. Yeah, like I said, we've got so what I've got for them, uh Knocked Up, Pineapple Express is obviously the, the big one for them too. Uh this is the end, which I think's yeah. underrated. A lot, a lot of I, people. I I really like that yeah. movie. I've not seen it since I saw it in the theater, but I remember liking it. And uh, the interview, which is the one I didn't get around to yeah. on there. But Oh, that one's good. I really like that one. Okay, cool. Well I'll have to uh, I'll have to check it out still. But um yeah, and it's kind of like you always go back to obviously um Seth Rogen does a lot of his, like, the the work that he does behind the camera is done with Evan Goldberg as well. Mm-hmm. But then when he does step in front of it, it's kind of Franco's there to, to fill in the void a little bit. It's yeah. like his good friend will do that. So, And they're always, always I mean, it, it's always a little base level humor, but I enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. Uh, so what's the next one you'd got? All right, I've got, this is another, this is not old school, old school. This is very much of its era. Um, Burt Reynolds 
and Jerry Reed. Okay. Um, Cause you've got, okay. So um, the, uh, the bandit movies. Yep. Uh, you also have the movie Gator. Basically Hal Needham direct was a stunt, a stunt coordinator turned director. Uh, so he liked doing uh, movies about cars, uh, car chases and car stunts. Uh, and he was good friends with Burt Reynolds and Jerry Reed. So they're in a lot of those movies. Um, so yeah, I'd go with, if you haven't seen the, the, the original Smoking the Bandit movies, they're the first two hold up for that genre. And also Gator is a very interesting, um, Southern crime car chase exploitation movie, um, where Burt Reynolds character Gator uh is the most what's the best way to say it um perfect hero in any movie he can do no wrong he is friends with everyone he is uh perfect in every single way uh and jerry reed plays the the villain in that movie and uh it's a lot of fun that's especially the the car stunts at the end where i think you almost see a guy's head get torn clean off by a by a car that flies right over his head that um so that's not a film i've, I've seen i'm not particularly familiar with it either but uh by what was it southern crime exploitation film you've sold it incredibly well to me oh yeah it's a <laughs> it's a it's a hoot and a holler yes definitely definitely want to check that one out i think that's going on the the watch list um so I guess this is my last one because we, we already covered uh, Ben and Matt, but my last one is Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I was going to say this this could have been an interesting one. Like I say, obviously, I don't know how f- well their films translated over in American audiences. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. People, like Shaun of the Dead, definitely. Um, Hot Fuzz uh, gets so much. Lo- That's a movie I think is good. I don't get why people love that movie so much. Um, and this is the end is not bad. Yeah. Like, I think that's how it goes. Shaun of the Dead. Fantastic. Great. Uh, Hot fuzz. You either love it. Absolutely. is the greatest thing ever. Or you're like, well, that's okay. Yeah. Um, the world's end is just, just world's end. Less. Yeah. World's yeah. end. Yeah. That's like, yeah, it's okay. That's fair. Like I say, I mean, it's one of them that um, I feel like, I guess Shaun of the Dead will translate more because he's, just playing with the the sort of uh, zombie tropes and you know, all those horror yeah. sort of conventions and stuff that I guess people have just seen regardless. Whereas I think Hot Fuzz does kind of have a bit more of a, I guess, a British sensibility to it. Maybe I don't know, but um, I could see I could see how any of them wouldn't translate all that well um, because there's a lot of like just jokes about things that the British people seem to do. I guess, but um, equally. If you do enjoy them, fair play. The other one I had down is that they also did uh, Paul together. Oh, the non Edgar yeah. Wright one. Yes. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was. Seth Rogen again popping up as the voice of Paul. Um, it's not the best film in the world, but it was a good way to spend a couple of hours. Yeah, I actually never, never saw that one. No, that's fine. I, it, you, again, you're not missing too much, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> and obviously they do go back as well uh, into Spaced, the TV mm-hmm. show. Um, so they, they do predate their films together, but Spaced, I think, is brilliant as well. So I, I had to give that a shout out. So, um, yes, you're, you're next one. I actually uh, don't have a next one. Oh, is that Because it? I realized... 
I, yeah, I think we, cause when we thought about it, I remember I had clicked, I had, I had checked off the Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence one, but then I remember in our initial conversation, I was like, Oh, they actually only did two movies together. Uh, oh, okay. So, yeah. I, but mentally I had, I had already checked off that box. Um, and I realized that they don't really count. They only did two. So, so that's, that's, that's my fault. Uh, that's they should do more movies together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh gosh, you know what? Know what? I do have. Okay. This Rich, Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder. Okay. Like I'm going to go with with those guys cuz they uh yeah, like Silver Streak, uh, uh Stir Crazy. Um See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Yeah. Even though that one is the lesser, but the and used to be kind of fun trivia as I was an early um uh, Kevin Spacey film role, but we don't really talk about Kevin Spacey anymore. Yeah, I stopped being <laughs> so, fun trivia and just trivia now. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, that uh, makes that a little cringy. Um, but yeah, so I'll go with Richard Pryor and uh, and Gene Wilder. Oh, that's very good. I'll be honest when you were when you started off and you said, you know, oh, you've, you've got a few more classic Hollywood ones. I was thinking, is it going to be like? Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, is that where oh, we were yeah. going? I mean, it is one of them things as well that I, I don't know if you, I kind of, I listed off five, like I say, I got them down. And then the more you look into it, the more you go, oh, I guess I could have had, uh, could have had Robert Redford and, and uh, from Butch Dick Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh yeah, uh, Paul Newman. Paul Newman, sorry, yeah. Um, and, you know, they had a couple of different other films together and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was, I was just, it was then kind of how far do you deep dive into this? How many can I find? Right, and, right. But um, but yeah, I think that that covers off the chat. I don't know if you've got uh, any other things you wanted to raise or. Uh no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, it's a uh, thank. Thank you for having me on. Talk about one of my favorite movies. Yeah, no, it's fine, and uh, and thank you for introducing it to me because uh, I really enjoyed myself last, like you say, last night when I was watching it. Yeah, it's it's very underrated. Um, I can get why someone might not be into it. Um, but I, I, I think it is such a wonderful balance between kind of like wacky, weird and like thoughtful, um, which you don't get too much of. Um, and plus like all the fun cameos, like we talked about, um, every, every, every bit, like we, we didn't talk about the Waponi woos, uh, or the Waponians. Yeah. Um, being that what was it was this their origin is a roman slave galley got blown off course and ended up in uh, like the southern pacific and um colonized an island so their culture is a mix of roman hebrew celtic and uh they say latin which i don't i don't really get from any of the stuff in the movie <laughs> yeah. but uh, and they love orange soda. <laughs> like, yeah. So like, it's like almost like it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, this could this could go bad really easily. Um, but like, it's so kind of wacky. And I think they threw in the um, them being Hebrew so they could cast like a Vagoda and, <laughs> yeah. like, and do kind of like make it a little more silly. And if, like one of the Islander songs is having a Gila. Like, like, like is, is um, it's so weird. And the, the music is really fantastic. Like with, even with like the trope of fifties, happy songs to set tone, there's a lot of original music in it, which is just wonderful. And like the, 
the cowboy song that Tom Hanks sings on his ukulele when they're like floating on the ocean is an original song written by the director. Right. Okay. Um, and sung by Tom Hanks. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, huh, that's a, like, it's just very, uh, it's just very interesting and kind of all over the place, but in a way that works. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's yeah. Yeah. I think you've summed it up really well there. So um, I guess where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter uh, while that exists. I am Mike is Ernie at Twitter. You know how Twitter works.com. You can also find me um, uh, if you're a fan of the fallout video game series or a fan of listening to strangers play a role-playing game uh, presented as a podcast. I'm on the rad rolls fallout RPG podcast. Uh, You can check that out. That's a lot of fun. Um, I don't, I don't get why people like listening to strangers play RPGs, but they do. They really do. Uh, so you can check me out there. Also, uh, I'm a writer. I, I don't have a website right now because uh, Wix got really expensive. So I, I pulled my website. Um, but you can find my books uh, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, I did a series called Orcs in Space, uh, which is, has three volumes out and another series called Junior Braves of the Apocalypse, which has two volumes out. Uh, check those out. Um, you can get those from your local comic book store just by saying, hey, order these comic books. And uh, yeah, that's that's all you need from me. Well, excellent. Uh, thanks for that. I am also a massive Fallout fan, so I might be oh, listening good. back to that. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, for me, I can be found in all the usual places. Aaron Lewis 33 on Twitter, and then Last Jedi on the left on Instagram and Letterboxd. It's usually where you find me. Uh, so yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. And uh, until then, until the next episode, everyone. See you later. <laughs>